service. And I love looking out on a full crowd. And we celebrate today, but we're going to celebrate tomorrow because Sister Buford's birthday is tomorrow. She's 27 years old. <laughs> and uh, I honor that, that birth, and uh, we have some things for you. So I could easily talk for a long time about Sister Brianne. So I wrote notes to keep it short and simple and to make come up closer up here, center stage. So I have the distinct honor of not only calling this beautiful lady my pastor's wife, but also my friend, my mentor, and my second mom. <laughs> I've had a front row seat over the years and I've, we've seen many victories and celebrations and wins, but I've also had a front row seat to much heartache and much loss, and she handles it with grace, with love, and with such a deep faithfulness in God. Life has been a little crazy lately, and we're always saying and joking that it's gonna calm down, and it never does. <laughs> it's just one thing after another, and there's been a lot of curveballs. But Mama B, you exemplify strength, and you exemplify consistency in all that you go through. You never fail to think about those around you before yourself. And your selflessness is a constant example to me and to so many others. As we celebrate another year of you, I want you to know that while I know that you pray and you serve and you love Lighthouse Church with everything within you, that you have a church who prays for you, who loves you, and who strives to serve you as best as we can as our First Lady. We thank you and we appreciate everything you do and everything that you are, not only what we see, but also what we don't see. Thank you for loving us, for praying for us, for never giving up on us. We love you, Sister Brianne. Happy birthday. definitely didn't expect that. I thought it's Easter. I'm going to get away with not having to <laughs> say anything. But I'm very thankful for all of you. I'm thankful for um, my husband and my church family and my family that's all here. I think both of my brothers are here. Yeah, I'm 42. My brother just, my brother just did that. You're 42. <laughs> so if any of you want to know, I'm, I'm 42. <laughs> And I've got some gray hair going on, but I've earned it, and so I'm not going to hide it. So if you expect me to, just don't, because it's going to be there. <laughs> but I love you all, and I'm very thankful for this church and for everything it represents. And I hope that when my age doubles, that I'm still here with you all. And I thank you for honoring me. Thank you, Rache, Sister Danielle, Sister Carrie, Sister Beth, our pastoral staff. They've been some of the best support that I could have had over the last couple years and I just can't wait to see what the next year holds because this time last year we were just getting into this building and I just look forward to the future and spending it with you I love you thank you hallelujah I know we we celebrate birthdays but 
I really do celebrate that day of birth. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for the fact that we get to lead this incredible congregation. And we've got a full house on this Easter Sunday, and I'm glad that you're here. To all of our guests and friends, welcome to Lighthouse. Thank you for worshiping with us and giving God praise. And I want to I wanna preach today. We're going to just kind of start by calling it no longer dead. I don't know if that's the appropriate phraseology we ought to use, but it looked good on the slide that we that Sister Rache made, but no longer dead. It's Easter. How many of you got your picture with the ducks this morning? A few of y'all did. We uh, had some ducks out there that uh, the Cozarts brought, and they took some pictures. But I want you to think about this for a moment. Easter, if there's ever been a day that defines all other recorded days in history, it would be Easter Sunday, circa 33 A.D., or somewhere around that time. For Satan, it's the day that will forever live in infamy. For you and I, it's the charged command to tear down the wall. The veil is torn. It's a day, Easter Sunday is a day that I will never tire of preaching. While I may not preach the Christmas nativity sermon every sermon and every message, However, the message of Easter permeates through every sermon preached behind this pulpit. It's every song that's sung in worship here at Lighthouse Church. It's every prayer prayed to a risen Savior harkens back to that very first Easter Sunday morning. He is risen is the anthem that I have lived my entire life to. It's the whole of my theology. For the very crux of the Bible, the entire Bible rests on the apex of the cry, He's alive. Come on, I know we got off of youth congress, youth convention, and and I know our kids are tired. I'm tired. We've been there for the last three days. I realized that, in fact, I kind of, joked a little bit as I walked out to take Zeke to see the ducks. I can always tell it's Easter Sunday because the kids are crying. Any parents want to say amen to that? They don't want to get dressed up. They don't. So I understand Easter Sunday might be not necessarily sometimes the most spiritual. But I need your help for about the next 25 or so minutes as I try to preach what Easter Sunday represents. That the Passion Week juxtaposes the very nature of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Listen, his death proved that Jesus Christ was human, but his resurrection showed us once and for all, he's God Almighty. You see, death couldn't hold him. Creation groaned for that moment. We and and, and those that were around the cross may not have fully understood. In fact, the Bible says that even his own disciples, whom Jesus had told time and time again, I'm going to go away, I'll come back in three days, they didn't catch exactly what happened on the cross. But creation groaned. I believe the every drop of blood that spilt off that cross and landed on that dusty ground, the earth greedily soaked it in, recognizing what was about to happen. The rocks began to cry out as he took his last breath. The earth began to hide her face, or the sun, rather, began to hide her face. The earth quaked. They knew what had just transpired. Because here's what happened. When the perishable 
puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then that will come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory but uh, oh death where's your victory oh death where is your sting the sting of death has been sin the power of sin has been the law but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ And the old song begins to ring in my ears. It reaches to the high, yes, mountain. And it flows to the lowest valley. Oh, the blood that gives me strength from day. Today, it will never lose its power. The blood that began to pour from that cross reached all the way back to the Old Testament and began to redeem the countless ones who had died in the faith, starting with Adam and Eve. What the blood of animals could only do in the ritual of sacrifice, understand this, the blood of bulls, the blood of goats, the blood of sheep could only cover sin. But Jesus' blood removes once and for all the sin. It removes the stain. It removes the guilt. It removes the penalty. And each one of them, starting with Adam and Eve, that died in the faith in the Old Testament, died in hope, died in faith, that one day there will be a more complete, a more perfect sacrifice. And so the blood of Jesus reached back to the Old Testament and redeemed them. And the blood of Jesus reached into a kind of unknown part, silhouetted between the two testaments, between the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, and the New Testament and the New Covenant, hung a naked man on a cross beside Jesus, and in his dying breath, that battered thief on the cross that wretched man's last gasp he said would you forgive me he cried out for redemption he cried out for forgiveness he cried out for relationship and Jesus's last breath gave it to him a man hung between two testaments and it reached right then and the blood of Jesus reaches to a new testament to the church of the living God. Every person from those who were there when the cross was erected to those who will hopefully be raptured at his soon return, every one of those will be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. When we repent and ask him for forgiveness, when we are buried with him in the waters of baptism so that our sins might be atoned and washed away forever by his blood, our sins remitted forever and ever, when we rise together with him in newness of life by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. The old have been passed away. Behold, all have been been made new and we can stand there on that day when I take my first step onto a golden street and I walk through a pearly gate. I will say I am redeemed. I am redeemed. Jesus paid the price. If anybody asks you, the old song says, just who I am, tell them, I am 
redeemed. That tomb is empty. If I understand correctly, there may be two tombs that, that people try to say may have been his last resting place. We may never know that for a fact, but here's what I do know. If they claim two tombs, I can tell you both tombs are empty. If they find another tomb that they say was his tomorrow, I'll assure you, it will be empty. That tomb is empty declares to all who will listen, he's no longer dead, he's alive. The soldiers may have been paid off. One of the kind of the, the, the hidden stories of Easter is the fact that if you'll read the Gospels, you'll find that when the soldiers got knocked out by the angels that came and released Jesus from his tomb, they go back to the authorities and the authority says, I got an idea. Let's, um, how about I pay you off? I'll give you some money so that you can spread the rumor the disciples stole the body. And so they, they lied about it and they, they said, well, you know, we, we understand we got knocked knocked down and we couldn't hardly talk and see and our eyes were blinded but, but yeah you can pay us off but don't be deceived that's not the story the story is he's alive he's alive he's alive now I could do a lot of things on this Easter Sunday morning I, I could preach from the gospels but as I was studying this week I went to maybe one of the most uh, different Easter service Scriptures, Romans chapter 8. And with the help of the Lord, I want to just kind of preach to you from Romans chapter 8 because Paul begins to write of his life. So if you'll let me kind of set the stage this way it goes, that Paul in Romans chapter 7 writes about the pitiful plight of his life and by extension uh, all of humanity. He begins to pen these words in Romans, Romans chapter 7 verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. I have the desire to do right. I want to be right. I don't want to sin, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. For I don't do the good that I want to do, and the evil that I don't want to do is what I keep on doing. Anybody ever felt that way in your life? No matter what, I, I, had an, I know this is very hard for you to understand, but growing up, I really struggled with talking too much and I didn't try to be rebellious at least I didn't think it was rebellion I just was right all the time so me and my mom we'd argue well I'd argue she'd whip and my mama used to say Brandon if you just keep your mouth shut 98% of the times you wouldn't get all those spankings I knew what I wanted to do I didn't want to get a spanking. But within me was not the ability to do so. And I would have to make one more comment. I remember me and my brother, mom put us to sleep, and we were probably wound up, jumping on the bed. And she came in the room, all five foot one of her or whatever she is. And she said, if I hear one more peep out of you, I'm going to spank you. She turned and walked out of the room, and I went, peep. Because <laughs> when I want to do good, I can't. That evil is always present in me. Now, if I do what I want, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin that dwells in me. And so 
I find a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Oh, inside of me, in the very center of my being, I delight in the law of God, but I see another, in my members, another war waging against the law of my mind, and it brings me captive to sin, the law of sin that's in my members, and he pins this pitiful phrase, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? See, when Adam and Eve took their first breath outside the confines of the Garden of Eden, they were denied access back to that tree of life. Their fateful rebellion by disobeying God's commandment, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and because of that, their death only became hastened. That sin, that one bite of that forbidden fruit brought shame and guilt and death. For God had said, the day you eat of that fruit, of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And the moment they took of that fruit, the moment that they were kicked out of the garden, their biological clock now had a time appointed unto them to die. It might have taken some 900 years, but rest assured, their cellular degeneration had started. They were dying because of their sin. Which is why Paul wrote in Romans 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. They were still standing in the shadow of that fateful tree. Just a few weeks ago, Brother Raymond Woodward preached and he described it as most likely a fig tree that they may have taken because the Bible says as soon as they did that, their eyes were open. They were ashamed. They were naked. What did they do? They sewed together fig leaves. And so Brother Woodward would preach, and not that he tries to make a doctrine out of it, but his opinion is that it was a fig tree. I might be digressing a little bit, but here it is, standing in the shadows of that tree. Their minds and their conscience opened. For the very first time in human recorded psyche, they felt shame and guilt and burning condemnation. They didn't even have a chance to enjoy the taste of whatever fruit they had just swallowed. As soon as it swallowed, it became a lump in their throat. Their natural inclination was to run and hide. And, and that feeling still haunts us today. We sin. We come short of the glory of God and guilt and shame and condemnation are the hallmarks of fallen man. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You may be here today. I, I realize that, that sometimes we come to Easter if we don't ever go to any other service. You'll be here at Easter. Maybe you're here today. Maybe it's someone who goes to every church service, but you're dealing with the guilt. You're dealing with the shame. You're dealing with the, the, the life, the past, the sinfulness that you've had. I know the answer for you. Paul said it this way. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You begin to walk following the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan and that spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In fact, every one of us under the sound of my voice lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of our fallen heart and our body and our mind. We were by our very nature the children of wrath. But God, who was rich in mercy, but God, 
God who loved you with a love that is unfathomable. That God, even when you were dead in your sin and trespasses, he made you alive together with Christ by grace. You are saved. And I hear the old words to a song. You're going to catch. I'm gonna, I've got a lot of old songs in my brain. I've turned in that crotchety old man who don't like anything new. I don't even like my computer anymore. Give me a fountain pen and paper. But those old songs come back. Shackled by a heavy burden. Neath the load of guilt and shame. But then the hand of Jesus touched me. And now I am no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me. You hear that beautiful choir of some 240 voices that just joined us? You were shackled neath that guilt. There was a moment one day when you came into church and spiritually you could not rise up and stand straight. But somewhere in the midst of a service, somewhere in the midst of, of, a, of a prayer meeting, somewhere in the midst in your own devotion, there was a God that reached town and he touched you and he brought you forth out of that guilt. He brought you out of that shame. He brought you out of that condemnation and he said, I will touch you. I'm here today to preach to someone, you don't have to live with that guilt any longer. You don't have to live with that shame any longer. You don't have to live with that curse any longer. You're no longer dead. Hallelujah. And so it is that Paul examples the struggle that you and I face with sin. He writes with very clear language. He said, I'm shackled to this body of death. No matter what I do, I can't escape it. There seems to be no way out. The addiction's just always going to be there. The sinful proclivity is always going to be there. The bad language and foul thoughts and sinful mindset must always be there. I'm lost. I imagine Paul in the dimness of wherever he was, his eyesight perhaps going bad, struggling to write in the flickering light of a candle with a quill. He sits and he wrestles with his own sinful mortality. 
And then like a bolt of lightning, his pitiful portrayal of broken humanity is erased by an earth-shattering understanding. He's alive. I can face tomorrow. He's alive. I don't have to live this way any longer. And so he gets a fresh piece of paper, and he carves a new quill on a fresh feather, and he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hey, Peter. Hey, Judas. See, we always like to talk about Peter, but, but don't forget Judas had the same opportunity. Oh, if they could have just waited, if Judas could have just given a few more moments. I know weeping may endure for a night, but joy's coming in the morning. Hey, Judas, listen to me. There's no longer any condemnation. Hey, Peter, he's not here to condemn you. It's the same Jesus that lovingly told the woman caught in the very act of adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That same Jesus who told that to that precious lady there is telling you today, he's not dead. He's looking for you. He's looking for you, Peter. He's not ready to condemn. He's ready to remit and forgive. My friend, I'm aware because I've been there. I know that Jesus knows your transgressions, that your sin is ever before him. There is nothing that you can hide from the eyes of the Lord who sees all. I know you've sinned against God and Him only. I know that you've done evil in the sight of the Lord. I know that you were brought forth in iniquity and conceived in sin. If you ain't figured it out, I'm just repeating some of the words David said in Psalms 51. I know that. But I also want to tell you that even though He knows your sin, and he knows your faults, and he knows your transgression. There is therefore now no condemnation. Why now? Why right now? Because the tomb is empty. Why right now? Because he's conquered death, hell, and the grave. He's alive. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is the message of Easter. You can be free. In fact, let me tell you my own personal message of history of Easter. I am free, no longer bound, no longer a slave to sin. I'm free. You don't have to live in those sins any longer. You don't have to be in bondage to those addictions any longer. You don't have to live in shame any longer. You can be free. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh it was written this way for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him Romans 8, 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, 
but according to the Spirit. You need to understand this. I'm preaching. I'm getting all excited because this has been bubbling for, for several days now. But let me slow down for just a moment and give you a Bible lesson. That righteous requirement of the law, that when Jesus' gospel was concluded, gospel means his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that perfectly fulfilled every requirement of the law. Allow the writer of Hebrews to explain it more clearly. Hebrews 9 and verse 12. And I don't have time. Go read Hebrews. It tells you why Jesus is better than everything else. He's better than Moses. He's better than angels. He's better than man. He's better than the priest. He's got a temple not made by human hands, but better temple. All of that is there. But look at verse 12. For Jesus entered once and for all into the holy places. Now remember this. Um, every day or, or every year, the high priest would have one day, the day of atonement. One day that high priest would walk behind the veil. He would carry blood. He had gone through a whole ritual of cleansing his own self. And he would go behind the veil and he would put blood on the mercy seat, that golden spot above. And he would do that. And guess what? 365 days later or whatever the Jewish calendar may have, he would have to do it again. But Hebrews says that Jesus entered once for all into the holy places and he didn't bring the blood of goats he didn't bleed the he didn't bring the blood of calves but by the means of his own blood he secured an eternal redemption and if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer might sanctify for the purification of the flesh then how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered him Himself without blemish to God. How much more will Jesus' blood purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And so I bring you back to Romans 8 verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds uh, uh, on the things of the Spirit. So here it is. You can stay unredeemed if you want to. You can choose to live today in your sin and trespasses if you choose. You can listen to this sermon and this preacher that will spill his guts all up here and want to go home and take a nap, but I can't because we got family and we got to make food and I'm going to be hungry. You can walk out of here and live the same old life you want to. You can make that choice. Because if you set your mind on the things of the flesh... But I have chosen not to do that. I've made up my mind as far as me. I cannot speak for anybody. I can't speak for Sister Buford. I can't speak for Zane. I can't speak for Zoe. I can't speak for Zeke. But as far as Brandon Paul Buford, I've made up my mind. I am redeemed. I'm redeemed by love divine. Oh, glory, glory. Christ is mine all to him. I now resign. I have been, I have been redeemed. How many of you know that song? How many of you have been down in the waters of baptism? How many of you have spoken with other tongues when the Spirit blew into your presence? I'm telling you, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. 
I've made up my mind. I made it up when I was eight years old, and I've made it up every year since. I make it up every time I come to church. I make up my mind I'm going to live for God. I'm not going to be bought with, a, with, with the price of this world's foibles. I'm not going to be bought by the price of this world's addictions, but I'm going to live my life. I've set my mind on the Spirit. Verse number 6 says to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. If you set your mind on the flesh, it's hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. In fact, it can't submit to God's law. If you're in the flesh, you can't please God. That's why I've made up my mind I'm living. I'm no longer dead. I've left some things in my past behind. I've left some things in the dust. I've left some things in a puddle of tears around an altar. I've come and I've repented so many times. And I've prayed through so many times. Why? Because I'm making up my mind. But I want you to look at verse 9. You, however, you're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. We, we mentioned it earlier. My mom's voice is kind of going, but how many of you remember that song? He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks. Along life's narrow way, he lives, he lives, salvation to impart. Here's the key. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. You want to know how I know he lives? Because there was a moment that I lifted up my hands and I began to repent of my sins. And Jesus came into my heart and I began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave him utterance. And there was a new life, a new brand, and a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old thing was passed away. You can't tell me he's dead. You can't tell me he doesn't hear my prayer. You can't tell me he's not alive. How do I know he lives within my heart? And so here is the crux that everything rests upon. If you'll put up verse number 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Come on, if the one who raised Jesus from the dead, just, just know this, Jesus died. It wasn't a parlor trick. 
It wasn't a, a, an opioid dose that made his heart slow down low and put him in some sort of coma. He died. He flatlined. Every ounce of blood dripped from his body. He had no ability to live. His brain stem went silent. His heart stopped beating. He turned white as the blood pooled or whatever blood may have been left would pool in lividity around his body. He died. And they took him off that cross that dead lifeless body and they put him in the grave and they put spices all over him and they wrapped him up with a shroud and they put a napkin on his face and they laid him in the tomb and he laid there, the Bible will tell you, for three days. And then God Almighty because the spirit didn't die. Just know that. God didn't die. The man, Christ Jesus, died. But there was a moment when the angels came and knocked that tomb out of order. And they rolled that stone back. And God began to speak to that dead, lifeless body. Just like Jesus spoke to Lazarus. And maybe I'm adding a little bit to it. I hope I, you understand. But I get the understanding that God Almighty looked at a dead, lifeless body. And he said, right! and the body rose and there was a moment that I went down in the waters of baptism and I repented of my sins I wanted to die out to that old man that fleshly nature that always seemed to win and I went in the waters of baptism but as I came out I heard the spirit say rise and walk and so it is because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. My life is worth living just because he lives. If you don't take anything away from this sermon, I want you to take this. He didn't rise so we could have one good service a year called Easter Sunday. I love and I have no problem with, and you're never going to see me argue, if you want to eat the ears off chocolate bunnies and celebrate Easter, do it. Go ahead. Have fun. It's not pagan. Go do it. If you want to open Easter eggs, go have fun. If you want to die Easter eggs, die them. But he didn't die, so we put Easter lilies on the platform. He didn't die so there'd be an advent calendar we could have. He died because of Romans chapter 8 verse 11. So that he could prove that if he can raise that man in that tomb, then he can raise anybody that's here today. You don't have to live in that sin and trespass any longer. You don't have to be dead any longer. I wonder if we could stand all across this building. I, I could very easily, and I have the notes, I could finish out Romans chapter 8. Maybe one day I will, but today I'm speaking to hearts and minds that are here. You know your past. You know what sins might be present. But that resurrection Sunday has become a resurrection any day you want. All you got to do is ask him to come into the presence of God because the veil is torn. We have instant access to the presence of God.
It could be at your home. It could be at this church service right now. There's really only one prerequisite that you and I must do, and that is we must repent of our sins. He's not going to resurrect you if you don't want it. He's not going to call out from heaven and do your dead, lifeless humanity and speak life to you if you don't want it. But if you repent of your sins, Jesus, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm attached to this body of death, and Lord, my sins are ever before me. Forgive me, I pray. Purge me with hyssop that I might be clean. Wash me that I might be white as snow. When you begin to repent like that, that same spirit that raised up Jesus is alive and well today to raise you up into a life and life more abundantly. Brother Lee said, we've got water. It's right behind there. We put it on the screen, but we've got water. It's warm. It's ready to go. It's clean. We've got baptismal robes. If you're here today and you want your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, this is a good moment today where you can come to me or come to Brother Lee and say, I want to be baptized. Tell someone around you, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission, the removal of my sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Father, I love you today. I give you praise. I felt your presence from the very first chord struck on this piano. Lord, you have moved in a mighty way, and it's because you're alive and well. And now as your spirit and your word begins to reach forth to this congregation, wherever they may be, whatever they're dealing with, whatever they're struggling with, every addiction, every sin, every failure of morality, I pray that you would be with them, Lord. Move and have your way, O oh God. Speak to them. I'm opening these altars. Could we come today? On this Easter Sunday, would you come?